0: Well, good morning, church. Welcome to everyone who's uh, worshiping with us this morning. It's a fantastic Lord's morning. If you're out the West Campus, uh, God bless all of you out there worshiping with us, especially my peeps at the Hive. And if you're down at the South Campus, uh, blessings to you too. Glad you're worshiping with us this morning. If you're on the internet or any, any way you're streaming or watching us this morning, uh, welcome. It's a Great to be with you. I'd like to continue our worship experience by taking up an offering, and here's how we do that. It's, things have changed so much with the post-pandemic uh, issues, but uh, if you'd like to give physically, there is a receptacle at the outside of each of the venues, uh, and if you want to give online, you can go on our website and do that. Lynn and I give that way every week, or you can actually take your cell phone and you can uh, give online just by texting, and that text information is right there on the screen. Now I have a quick announcement about elders and deacons because we're in that season where we're choosing those but but to make the most of the time would you please take a copy of the word of god and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 There's Matthew Mark Luke and John the four gospels the first one the first bible the first text rather the first letter In the uh, New Testament is the book of Matthew. Turn to chapter 18. And while you're turning there, let me make this announcement. This Sunday and for the next three Sundays, you'll find a QR code on the back of your sermon notes. Those of you who have your notes this morning, of course. Uh, We're putting before you the next year's elder deacon nominees. I want you to be aware of that. Uh, If you'll use that QR card, it'll actually go to the list of who is being nominated for elders and deacons service beginning in September the list has been unanimously approved by our board of elders and and there you'll also find the constitutional requirements for our leadership so you can see okay what does it take to be a leader what's the standard what's the biblical standard if you prefer to see this information in a hard copy at the in the uh, foyer of each of the venues there's hard copies there for you as well if you'd like to get those there are two elders that are going to be t- returning for a second term uh, Adam Deem and Craig Hollinsworth, these men have served faithfully in a phenomenal way, and they're going to re-up. You can do that. You can do two terms. Uh, if you're a constitutional member of Christ Chapel, you'll receive a voting link at the end of this month prior to our annual meeting. The annual meeting takes place August the 28th here in this room uh, in the Fort Worth campus at 1 o'clock, and there you'll be able to cast your vote. And any, any other information you might need, any questions you might have about the leadership will you could ask someone uh, who looks official. <laughs> Would you read with me the Word of God? Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Just follow along with me. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained Your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I among them. And I do pray the Lord to bless the public reading of his word. I have a confession to begin with this morning. There are not very many things in my life that I hate, but one thing I really hate is loading and unloading the dishwasher in our kitchen. No, I'm, I'm absolutely serious. Ask my wife. She's sitting right there. I do it, but I hate it. We have a Samsung DW80-5. It's, a, you know, it's quite a machine. I'm not, ki- I'm not kidding you. It's not, it's not the machine that I hate. It's loading and unloading the machine that I hate. In fact, the machine's incredible. Uh, You can put um, milk-stained grandbaby cups in it. You can put in uh, barbecue-stained plates. You can put pots and pans, anything you want to put into it, and it it completely cleans them up, and then it self-cleans, and then it evacuates all the water. What could be wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. But I, I hate loading it, and I hate unloading it. When Lynn says, would you unload the dishwasher, say we're having friends over, which is the only time usually she'll ask me because we're in a big hurry, I think to myself, oh, yeah, why don't you just curse me? Why don't you just say something to me that's really mean? So I sought counseling. No, I'm serious. I saw Ryan McCarthy, by the way, one of the best the best biblical counseling center in the city of Fort Worth is right here on our campus under Dr. Greg Cook. It's right here on the corner, Soul Care. Well, Ryan is a very professional counselor, and so I took him to lunch last week. He didn't realize it, but I, was, I bought his lunch, but I was really seeking counsel. And I said to him, Ryan, here's my problem. I hate to load and unload the dishwasher. And I walk him through the emotions I'm having, and he just pauses and takes another bite of his sandwich and says, well, your problem is you're, you're, you're lazy. I didn't need to know that I thought there's some maybe my parents stuck me in one when I was young and just turned it on and I remember no that was the dryer they put me in so it wasn't that that. I just I, I can't quite understand so so maybe I've come to this conclusion maybe it's because it reminds me a little too much of the church and my responsibility to keep it spiritually clean From the Inside Out, which is, by the way, our sermon series in the book of Matthew. As we're moving through the book of Matthew, this particular segment is called From the Inside Out. Maybe this kitchen appliance and the church of Jesus Christ have something in common. This message is about relationship mending or lack of it in the kingdom of Jesus. Let me remind everyone listening to me, this is not a country club. This is not a workout gym where you choose what you want to to exercise in and how much strain and stress you want. This is the church, the kingdom of the living God. And from the moment it was formed in Acts chapter 2, it's the most powerful institution on the face of the earth and heaven. And so the subject this morning, and it's not about loading and unloading dishes, uh, it's which, by the way, makes me uncomfortable, and maybe this subject makes me just as uncomfortable, but it's the Word of God. Now, as I read it, there are three textual observations I want you to make note of, and they're in your sermon notes at the very top, just below the heading. The heading is the self-cleaning kingdom of Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what this passage is about, but please note, three textual observations. First, Jesus wants the church to deal with its sin and interpersonal conflicts from the inside out. That's kind of obvious. That's Little repetitive. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 discipline should begin in the church. And it does begin in the church. You see, this is a messianic kingdom. This is not a synagogue. This is not the Jewish king. This is a church formed and founded on the finished work of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated communion. It's the foundation for what we believe and what we do. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I know many situations where Christian brothers and sisters are closer than family, than biological family. And that's sometimes the case here. Disharmony is deadly in the church. It causes bitterness. It causes anger. It causes division. It causes God to be grieved and Jesus does not want it in his body. And by the way, as a pastor, I'll tell you this, duplicity is something that we struggle with because we're sinners just like the rest of the world. But when the world sees us being duplicitous with each other on the inside and in bitterness and anger and gossip, what does it do to the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ? It destroys it. First observation, Jesus wants us to do this. He clearly states it right here. The church must be serious about self-cleaning. Second, Jesus addresses the offended, the offenders, and those in the middle. That means every one of us. And I would say... And I would probably correct, I don't gamble, but I'm probably correct. Half of you, when I began to read verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Half of those of you watching or listening had a name or a face come up on your screen. Right? Had a name or a face come up on your screen. Your stomach churned. We've got a problem. Third observation we'll talk about in just a moment. Jesus sees reconciliation as the goal, never punishment. The church is not a sin police department, but he sees reconciliation as the highest priority for the church. That's where healing is. That's why Christ Chapel, I think, over the years has had such good favor. We have our issues, don't don't misunderstand me, but in general, we take this very, very seriously. It's interesting that today we're talking about elders and deacons. Those are the leaders that oversee so much of this church. They have to take this issue very, very seriously. By the way, let me point out to you that reconciliation is the issue. Have your Bible with you again? Notice chapter 18, verse 1. This is about reconciliation, not about dealing with sin, but about grace and good things. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the disciples came to the Savior and said, Who's the greatest of us twelve? Do you think there are problems there? Twelve grown men, high level of testosterone. Do you think those guys got along all the time? Not on your life. So we got a problem already here. Drop your eyes down to verse seven. We discussed it last week. Sin. He deals with sin. I mean, just as strong as you possibly could. And he's saying there, be severe when it comes to dealing with your personal sin. Drop your eyes on down to verse 10, the parable of the lost sheep. If there's a hundred sheep and one's lost, but who's the lost sheep here? A person who sinned and left the fold. Interesting, isn't it? And then notice verse 15, that's today's message. It's about how do you deal with that? What do we do now? And then the wonderful part, drop your eye on down to verse 21. Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone? And he thought he was really being gracious when he said seven times. And Jesus responds, no, 70 times seven. Reconciliation and forgiveness. The pericope of chapter 18 is all about reconciliation. That's my point in this third observation here, how important that is to God. and the ministry that God's given, lending me over the last 50 plus years, there are three types of people in any spiritual group like Christ Chapel. They're what I call peace fakers. They live in like turtles in a shell. They fake it that everything's okay when things inside are not okay. There's bitterness there. There's anger. Someone's hurt their feelings inside the body. I'm talking about in the church. could it even be the pastor who's done that. I call them peace fakers. And there's peace breakers. They're like skunks. When somebody hurts them, they spew everybody. And the bitterness never goes away. And everything smells constantly. And you know what I'm talking about. And then, of course, there are peacemakers, which are those who take this most difficult passage here and they candidly are willing to discuss it with someone that's hurt them and bring about peace and reconciliation. So verse 15 through 20, we're given the pathway to personal peace and reconciliation. We're given the pathway for a very healthy church. It's all about self-cleaning church of Jesus Christ, Christ Chapel and those viewing. That's what this is about. Now, why would he stop in the middle of chapter 18 here and talk about this subject? Well, I just mentioned to you probably the disciples, right? And it's written, look at the text again. It's written like it's a counseling session. Now, if someone does this to you, here's how you handle it. Did you notice that? How he kind of unpacks it? It's very... Practical, not theoretical. It's just like a counseling session. And I'm reminded in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus, or God, is our great counselor. So the Lord has put out his counseling shingle, much like our soul care ministry here, Ryan McCarthy and others, and said, if you're bleeding emotionally, if you're filled with bitterness, what do you do? How do you handle that? And the Lord is actually wanting to counsel these men. He, he, th- that's how this is laying out. What, what do we do next, Jesus, whether it be one of the disciples or one of us? Bilbo Baggins was best friends with Frodo. They went to different junior highs together. They were both raised in Hobbitville. They both went to Hobbitville Bible Church a great church, Bilbo has a birthday party and he's not gonna leave Frodo out. They've been best friends since childhood. Now, Frodo had been making some bad decisions. That's what the community would say. And uh, he came to the party on Saturday night. Maybe he'd been drinking something. That wasn't the bad part. The bad part was inside the party, he pulled aside a couple of Bilbo's friends you know, in Hobbitville, only nine people live there. And he said some things pretty unkind about Bilbo. And actually, for a year, they'd been having a, a, a sort of a strange relationship. Frodo said to one friend in the corner, you know, have you ever seen how big Bilbo's feet are? They're huge, and they're hairy, unlike normal hobbits. And it was offensive. But the really bad part was later in the evening, when Bilbo was in the kitchen... Frodo slipped into the bedroom, and on the bureau was a ring. He took the ring, put it in his pocket, and left the party. Bilbo discovered it the next morning, Sunday morning. At church, someone came up to him and said, Have you noticed, Bilbo, that Frodo's up in the balcony, and he's wearing on his pinky finger your ring? He stole it from you. What would you do in that situation? Because in this room, there are some Bilbo's and there's some Frodo's. Let's look at what Jesus says we should do. Ready? Look carefully. Step one, verse 15. He says, first thing you've got to do is talk to them alone rather than talking to others about them. Again, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Two, two phrases I'm pulling out of verse 15. The first phrase is pretty simple. You go, you go. If someone sinned against you, you go. And then not this odd? We, we normally think just the opposite. If you've sinned against someone, if you're a Frodo and you've got the ring on your finger, you should have a long time gone to that individual. In fact, the Old Testament says, leave your sacrifice there before you make it, your sacrifice, and go and resolve these issues. But Jesus says just the opposite in the church. If someone has sinned against you, you go. Reconciliation begins in the church with the person who has been offended. How odd. Don't wait. Reconciliation is your responsibility. If you don't, you just keep on bleeding. By the way, it's very clear it's face-to-face here, not Facebook-to-Facebook. Why? Because then you can see the individual's contrite spirit. If they've got one, you can see their body language. Emails and and Facebook are not in Jesus' vocabulary, in, in my opinion. No one else is to be involved, for that poisons things and causes gossip to permeate the church. The second phrase, notice he says, tell them his or her fault. What's their sin? And by the way, what is the definition of sin? We really have to have that clear. Sin is anything that's contrary to the character of God, to the sovereign will of God and the direction of God. Anything in the scriptures that's contrary to God's will. God is holy. His character is holy. And sin, you know, the human spirit really does know until it gets completely dull and falls into darkness, does know what sin is when, they, when we commit sin. But sin is something that's contrary to the character and the revealed word of God. And by the way, if we don't tell someone about their sin toward us or toward someone else, what happens to them? The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. I see it. I smell it everywhere I go you do too that's what it is now it's important to stop for a moment and say there are some caveats some, some things I think and I've seen this in my own life be really important if you approach someone about what you perceive as their sin three possible things can come out of that one is you can find out you're wrong it did not happen the way you thought it did Bilbo finds out that that ring on Frodo's finger, at least he says, he got it at a garage sale. Well, that's interesting. If you want to read a wonderful story about a mistaken sin situation, read Joshua chapter 22 this afternoon, where the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad and the half-tribe of Asher are on the east side of the Jordan River, and they set up these massive stones, Joshua says in Joshua chapter 22, massive stones on the west side of the river, of the Jordan River, in Israel. The other tribes are over there. And so the tribes are so offended, they actually prepare for war against their own brothers, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. Massive stones until one of them decides, you think we should go talk to them before we kill them? <laughs> and someone says, yeah, let's do. And it's recorded in the Word of God. They found out that Gad and Reuben and half tribe of Manasseh had built those massive stones, not as an altar on the other side of the river, but to remind their children, every time they look across the river and see those stones, we, Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, we belong to them. We're all one body. And they put away their swords. So sometimes you'll find out you're wrong. Sometimes, you know what else you'll find out? that you're just annoyed by that person. They didn't really sin against you at all. Sometimes we love being around each other, right? But then after a while, we get kind of annoyed with them. You know what I mean? Like somebody you take into the restaurant and they laugh out loud and they're so loud, they're embarrassing and then they snort after they laugh. You know, they have that pig snort thing after they laugh and you think, yeah, it's so offensive. I'm calling them up and tell them, stop that, I'm not going, you're offending me. And the third thing is sometimes it's you. It's your fault. You hit first. You never know how many times in the NFL the ref sees the person who, player hits second time and the flag comes out. That happens to us. In fact, I would tell you half the times in the church, you've done something. Bilbo was arrogant. He was always flaunting his newfound wealth and it offended Frodo, and Frodo stole his ring. Both of them were guilty. Both of them were guilty. Uh, This is a fantastic story. I don't know if you ever read about the story of this is Jesus of the Andes. Chile is just right where the cross is, Chilean border, and to the backside, and, and Argentina is all to the left there. That entire statue was a gift from Chile 115 years ago. It was built by melted-down cannonballs and cannons. But after it was put up, about three years later, the Chilean people got super upset because they realized Jesus is facing Argentina. Can you, how shallow can you be? They gave the gift to Argentina. And fortunately, some wise young reporter one time, just wrote out one time to the whole Chilean people in one big newspaper article, hey, what are we upside, uptight about? The Argentinians need Jesus more than we do. <laughs> They're worse sinners. Resolved. Colossians chapter three. Look what Paul says: Bearing with one another, bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord forgave you. So you should forgive, as well. You know what we need to do sometimes? Just stop and forgive. Wash the bitterness away. It's it's not that big a deal. Now, sometimes it is a big deal, and sometimes we're just cowards. But sometimes you find out it's a mistake. Sometimes it's just an annoyance, not a sin. And sometimes it started with you. Maybe you need to go to them and say, forgive me. Forgive me. When was the last time you said to someone, may I love you? and I want our relationship to be like it was before, you're wearing my ring. I read this incredible story a couple of months ago about these brothers who lived in Montana on 40 acres. And they'd not gotten along, an older brother, younger brother for 40 years, they just hadn't gotten along. So the younger brother hired a, a bulldozer and he cut a swath, a draw, a, River right down the middle of their property. The older brother was incredibly offended by that, but he had to go away on a trip, so he hired a lumber company to deliver lumber to build a stockade fence right down the middle of that gully. He hired a carpenter and said, "I'm leaving town for a week. When I get back, there are the nails. There's the wood. I want a stockade fence all the way down the center of this." He returns on Friday night. He drives up, and there's not a stockade fence. There's a bridge. (laughs) built from one side across to the other. When the younger brother saw that, saw him driving up, he runs out of his house, comes up on the bridge, meets his older brother halfway and said, you know, after all the things I've done to you, you've done this. Forgive me. What a great story. That's how the church should function. My application, we should communicate because communication is a demonstration of affection step two it continues what happens next well step two is take a few witnesses with you notice what the passage says in verse 16 but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses eyewitnesses really now there's some struggle with what's what Jesus is meaning here is it eyewitnesses is it umpires that they're going along with with Bilbo to see Frodo or is it mediators? And we don't know. Jesus doesn't say. We know for sure it's witnesses who know they've seen Frodo in public wearing the ring. They've heard Frodo gossip about Bilbo. That's what this is about. Deuteronomy 19 says, you should never convict anyone without on the word of just one witness, but at least two witnesses. So take one or two others along is the phrase I pull out of this passage. And the other phrase is every charge that every charge may be established. So, uh, folks, uh, what can be harder than calling up someone that's really, and for sure offended you and sinned against you and saying, I want to meet with you, and they refuse to accept, and you go back with some friends who know for a fact that that ring belongs to Bilbo? This is hard stuff. This place is not a country club. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So you take witnesses. Here's why you take witnesses. I've written this down, so forgive me for looking down. It communicates the gravity of the situation and the need for repentance. It's so that no one passes along slanderous information That hadn't been confirmed. It's so you can observe the errant brother or sister's reactions to all of this. It keeps things from escalating. And the witnesses remember and record what's happening there. What's the objective here? Reconciliation, not punishment, not vindictivism reconciliation. By the way, on the back of your sermon notes, I've written um, advice for restoring. How would you talk to that individual in that very difficult moment? And I've given it to you on the back of your sermon notes. I don't have time to read through all of them, except to say, first says, express your love before you express your problem. Second, avoid asking inflammatory questions. Third, keep the focus on you, not them. Don't you hate it when someone says, you did this to me and you did that? Frodo, you stole my ring, rather than saying, as Bilbo should say, you know, I love you and I love my ring, and I'm hurt that you would take something from me. I am hurt. But the last one is really important. Be clear about the response that you are seeking. I want our relationship restored. I want you to confess that you did that to me. I wanna be able to hug and return to the relationship we had before you stole my ring. C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Huh? Now we move to a very formal level, a very difficult level. In fact, very few churches in America today exercise this because it's so difficult. Christ chapel has since its beginning. Verse 17a. Third thing you have to do. Frodo still disagrees. Step three brings the matter to the church. Two phrases. If he listens, if he refuses to listen, even though his hand is in the cookie jar and Frodo is wearing the ring, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. What's the church? What does Jesus mean here by the word ecclesia, the assembly? What's the church? Only two options here. One is it's us. So Dr. McQueen would invite Bilbo up, and Bilbo would say, Frodo, I've approached you twice. I see you up in the balcony, and I see the ring glistening in the sunlight. And you have sinned against me. That's my ring. Not only do I want it back, I want my relationship with you back. Do we do that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, the church worship experience should be done always orderly. What chaos would that be like? What would it be like for a non-believer in the congregation this morning? If you're not in Christ this morning, you're visiting our church, or you're watching from somewhere and you're not in Jesus, you're not a Christian, You think, what's happening there? There's judgmental people. This is not a country club. You don't pay your dues and just come when you want to. This is a family that's going to live together for eternity. It's a powerful family. We can't do that. Plus, you got big issues with litigation. When Bilbo mentions Frodo's name, Frodo's in his attorney's office Monday morning. He defamed me in public. So what's the answer? The answer is, and it's quite clear from the Old Testament, he's talking about the leadership of the church. It begins with the leadership of the church. In this situation would be, of course, an elder board. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the ordained leadership, notice what Paul says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. When he says, you who are spiritual, in the middle of the verse, who, who's that? Well, hopefully everyone in the room be somewhat spiritual, but how do you? He, he's talking there about the leadership. Every New Testament church had an elder board, over, at least two elders over them. Elders, plural. So you bring this issue to these these men. And the elders, listen carefully, those of you who are up for appointment for this next year and you're on the board now, your role is to plead for change of heart. You're to be sober and sorrowful about this. There's no witch hunt here. This is not sin police people walking around leveraging something over other people. By the way, membership has its privileges, beloved, but it also has its responsibilities. Have I told you before this is not a country club? Am I opposed to country clubs? Please don't misunderstand me. See, when the elders get involved, it vindicates God's holiness. It purifies the church. It reminds us to shun sin, and it conveys a pathway of love and restoration. And my sermon application or point application is the church must be a safe place for sinners but cannot be a safe place to sin. So then, what happens? Well, notice what he says in verse 17b But if they refuse to listen, let them be to you as Gentiles and tax collectors. What does that mean? What's a Gentile to a Jew in those early days? Well, they're outside the commonwealth of God, may be saved. May belong to Jesus, but you're living in a place in your life where it doesn't look that way. And your tax collector, that's a tax collector really was a betrayer. Judas was a tax collector. So, at last resort, what do we do to keep the church clean? Well, we're sorry. By the way, it may relieve you a little bit to know that in the 42 years that Lynn and I have been a part of this fellowship, no one has, well, people have gotten to this point for sure, but 95% of the individuals that we've gone through this with have left the church before we got past step two. They just leave, unfortunately. Leave in their sin, leave unreconciled, leave outside. Now, the exact process here we're not sure about, Jesus doesn't say. He just says, treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. We know what that means. It doesn't mean they couldn't come to church. Gentiles can come, lost people come to church. It means they can't be in the home group anymore. They can't be in the position of leadership. You know, and if you don't understand the church and how the Lord works, I know some of this stuff could be kind of offensive. You mean, judge not lest you be judged, pastor. Well, first you misunderstand that passage. But have I told you before? This is not a. Yeah. Hebrews 12, 11 says this Discipline seems to be unpleasant in the beginning, but in the end it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. But just to land this plane, uh, there are two wonderful promises. Would you please notice verses 18, 19, and 20? Let me read those for you. Two promises. Look, anytime Jesus says truly, anytime Jesus speaks, pay attention, my my friend. But he says, truly, you really pay attention. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Then Look at verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name... There I am among them. The first promise is that the church has the authority to do this. And when this is done in a loving, restorative way by the leadership of the church, what happens? It's sealed in heaven. What the church binds is bound in heaven. doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. They've lost their sanctification. It means they're under some spiritual discipline. We don't know what that means. We don't know what God's going to do with each individual who refuses to repent. But heaven's power and divine authority are promised to the church. Whatever we do as it relates to earth will be echoed in heaven. This is clearly what Jesus is teaching. I've written here, when this situation happens in the future to the church, and by the way, the church wasn't even born yet when Jesus speaks these words in Matthew 18. It's not born to. Acts chapter 2. He's speaking prophetically. This is his church. He knew it was going to be birth. The offender is under a cloud of heavenly discipline until he or she confesses and repents. Then they could be freed. If you're bound by the leadership of this church, you're bound no matter where you go. No matter where on the face of this earth you go. You're bound in heaven. In other words, there's a cloud, God's aware. But if you're restored and loosed, you're loosed right here. This is the kingdom of Jesus. You're loosed right here. You've taken yourself out from under the protection of heaven with all its rights and its privileges. And you know, as he says, uh, where two or three are gathered together. I mean, you always thought that had to do with your home group. If only one person showed up, you'd say, well, whew, there's two of us, so Jesus must be here. We take the, we've all taken this passage out of context throughout our lives, right? It has nothing to do with Jesus. He's with us if we're alone, the psalmist says. But when it comes to dealing with restoration in the church, he says, I'm there. Elder board, you can't sweep this under the rug. Brothers and sisters, reconciliation is the call. So I want to close with asking, are there any Bilbo Baggins in the room? You know what to do next. Your bitterness and your hurt is stealing from your life and the individual that hurts you. But I'm more concerned this morning about the Frodo's. Why are you still sitting there? Why? It's been my personal experience to know that most individuals who sin against someone else know they've done that. Fully aware of it. But in our arrogance and our pride and our blind sin, we are not going to go deal with that deal because... So, back to my kitchen, my Samsung DW80-5. About six months ago, maybe seven, we were watching one evening a Turner Classic movie. Our den is right next to our kitchen, and Lynn had we'd had a wonderful evening meal. She's a fabulous cook, and she had loaded the dishwasher. I made it clear I loathe that. She had loaded the dishwasher, and you could hear it humming in there. You because there's no wall between them. There's the kitchen, and there's a little, and then there's the the den, and we're watching television. And it's been washing for some time. And we're right in the middle, and Clark Gable just just spewed out this wonderful line in the movie, and I hear singing coming out of the kitchen. I listen carefully. I think Alexa's on our echo device. No, that's not, and there's just a, Melodious music coming out of the kitchen. I said, honey, what's that that music? She looked at me and said, what do you mean what's that music? And I jump up and I walk in there and you know what it was, don't you? Yeah, it was my Samsung DW80-5. After it cleans all the dishes on the inside and then it cleans its walls completely and it evacuates all the water and it's totally clean on the inside. The door pops open, and it sings. Please don't tell me I need to explain that illustration to you. Well, Jesus, thank you uh, for the fact that uh, this is not a country club, and your kingdom has such value on this earth, such a testimony that you desire strength and obedience, love for one another. You desire that we avoid bitterness, that the world may constantly hear coming from us a melodious sound of love and joy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.